Google. I hope that was okay. You know, wanted to learn some bit, some stuff. And so you were out, right outside the uh, Texas School Book Depository when uh, all of that went down. <laughs> I mean, let me tell you what I did. And let me tell you just a minute and tell you what I did. And that might help you. Prison had just passed me, and a little child started out on the street. And I pulled it back. I didn't get to look at him as it went by. But when the first shot fired, I could still see him. He he went out of my view behind the other two cars, and he came back uh, in view. And I saw the first shot hit him. And I knew where the shots were coming from. I could see some windows open, but I couldn't see in them because he had the rifle inside the window. So by the third shot, I decided it had to be on the roof. There was two other officers with me. One was over on the southwest corner. He couldn't get across the street. And then the other one was on the north, on the southeast corner. I bet it was pandemonium, just pure chaos, to try and even get through that crowd. Yeah, the people standing around me were people from the building and also from that other building. And some people just off the street was standing around me. But when the last shot, I thought it had to be on the roof, so I ran through the crowd, and I ran to the back, and, and I turned around, and the other two officers weren't with me. I thought they followed me. And I decided maybe I was in the wrong place. And I saw a motorcycle pull up in front and off to yeah. get off. There was something, your name came up with a lot of things about some mystery motorcycle guy. And I never read any of it because I figured you would, could tell me about that. And I, I don't know anything about it, but... Um, One of the motorcycle officers in the parade or in the, the with the president, he, he thought the shots were coming from the roof. So he pulled in, he must have pulled in right behind me because his motorcycle was sitting there when I got to the corner. And he ran in and told the building manager at the door that there's somebody shooting from the roof. So they started up the, they went to the elevator, it wasn't there, so they started running up the stairs and passed the cafeteria, and he saw a man in there, he went in and arrested him, and Mr. Trudy, the manager, said, he's okay, he works here, okay, so they went on up to the room. Uh, then, I, then I come running back up to the motorcycle, and my sergeant drives up to me and said, Gene, he's in the sixth floor. I said, you go to the front door and secure it, I'll go to the back door. As I turn to go, this Harry Brennan runs or gets across the street then. He's just construction worker, just walked over to see this. He runs up to me and says, Officer, I sat right over there. I saw the man in the sixth floor and he said he said, I, I saw him do all three shots. The sergeant said, Take him with you 
I'm going to the back door, and that's what I did. That took three minutes. I did time. I did. I did the whole thing again for the FBI. It took three minutes. Baker had already went in. He went up the roof. I sealed off the door. They came and picked up this Brennan guy and put him in a patrol car and put his description out over the radio what the man looked like in the sixth floor with, with, with the dog. That was awful. And then he was standing in Oak Cliff by Tippett. And a lady standing there waiting for a bus works there close to where I work in her cafe at a restaurant. And she told me she saw this awful walking down the street acting funny, strange. And then the police car drives up and he walks over, awful walks over and leans into the car and talks to the officer. Officer gets out, Tippy gets out and starts around the car. And I'll go shoot him. And then she thinks he's going to shoot them, but I shoot her. But he didn't. He turned around and runs in the theater, and that's where they kicked him there. Joe Smith's one of the officers on the corner. He was looking for me, and he couldn't see me for the people. A lady ran up to him and said, They're shooting down there from the grassy knoll. Well, he, he ran down there, and the other officer followed him down there, not knowing what to do. And when, as soon as they got there, they saw they was in the wrong place. And I don't know where the third officer, I don't know where he went. I didn't need to talk to him again. But Joe Smith, the one that the lady said he was doing where the shooting was, he ran back to the front door and helped me. He stayed there with me until 3. If you get any pictures, you'll see he and I together at the front door. Yeah, he, I have actually seen that picture. Amy, there's a man and woman and their children standing right there on the sidewalk. And saw the president get shot the third time, and he scared him, and they just fell back over on the grass. And people thought they were being shot, and they still people think that the shots. And they had a well, the grass is no over the man had would had it been standing behind. You would look in the direction of a, a shot that loud. If it was fifteen feet behind. I could tell the shots were coming up behind me and to the right. And I just, it was three windows so that I could see open, but I couldn't see anybody. I couldn't see in. I was too close to the building. He was 60 foot high, and I was 60 foot from the building. So you go a line from where I was, I was about 80 foot from him. I could hear the shots real plain, but I could not see anything. I was too close. Now, we have a lot of witnesses, which is over there with Brennan. Even the mayor's wife in the parade, she saw the man in the window. She told the mayor, said, there's a station service agent in the sixth floor. And of course, they, uh, but by then, they always started shooting, and they was too far. They couldn't see anything. But we had a lot of, but the call, when I got back up there to the corner, and Sergeant rolled up and told me where he's coming from, that came from a deputy sheriff looking out the window of the sheriff's office on the corner of Maine in Houston. And he picked up the phone and called our dispatcher and told them where the shots were coming from. And then it, it went out on the radio. And this supervisor, he's very close to me, and he came up and told me it's the sixth floor. So secure the door, I'll go to the back door. But then Aldo had already walked out. He walked down the stairs. I don't know. He may roll the elevator. We, I, I don't think they ever found out. I think there was a witness who said they did run into him on the stairs and it was just like, hi, 
like an issue, like he bumped into someone on his way down. Well, by the time Baker should get off his motorcycle and get inside, he was in the lunchroom, had a Coke bottle. We didn't have cans back then. As soon as Baker, the officer, and Mr. Shirley, the building manager, left the, went out the door, he set the bottle down. He didn't drink the drink. He ran out the front door. And it, it always bothered me that I didn't go to the front door to start with. I still at all. You couldn't have known. I did because well, there was other. I, I thought it was on the front door and back door, but there were several doors on the west side of the loading chute. He, so he, if I went to the door then, he would went out another door. But as it was, he he came out while I was running back up there. They think he got on the bus. The bus couldn't move. He got off and went. Did you actually ever see him leave, or like was he just no. gone by the time you got to the front? When I. I ran to the back there, which is not very far. There's a fire escape on that side. I was looking up the fire escape. Yeah, I know. You were looking for the roof to see if he was coming down. I, you know, nobody's with me. I'm in the, I'm wrong. So I went running back up, and I was running. I saw the sergeant driving up, driving north on Houston Street, and he rode up, and I met him there uh, in, front, in front of the building. And I didn't look, I wasn't looking at anyone. I was looking at him. He said, the shooter's in the sixth floor. A deputy called it in, eyewitness. And so I was then, when I got him and he and I ran the front door, all the employees were back inside. And I didn't let anybody in or out unless they were escorted by an officer. Wait, they, they, they all went back in? They all, they were all back in before I got oh. the door. And of course, they just, there's only 60, 70 foot from the front door. And there wasn't that many of them. I don't know how many of them were, they, different numbers they gave us. But they always got back in before I got to the door. And then they interviewed each one of them, they brought them to the door. And then we had, of course, FBI, the Secret Service, Deputy Sheriff, and city officers coming up the door and going in and investigating the scene. And they found the rifle and brought it out. And the rifle belonged to Oswald. That's found where he'd ordered it. Did y'all find three shell casings? Yeah. They found three shell casings there by the window. And they found the rifle uh, that he had ordered. He ordered the rifle and the pistol. is a high-K and rifle. And it's a thirty-eight caliber pistol. And I think it's $17 a gift for the rifle. And the pistol wasn't very much more. I don't know what it was. It's pretty cheap. An old, you know, cheap thirty-eight. And they found where he he didn't use Oswald. He used another name. I forgot what it was. He used another name on it, but they found his prints on it because he had the pistol in his hand when they arrested him. But they found the prints on the rifle, and because there was a lot of conspiracy theories. Did he leave that rifle behind? Yeah, he put it behind some boxes. It took yeah. a lot of food. Uh, I've never been up there, so. Fifty anniversary of the shooting. I I got to be on a panel. And, I watched uh, it. I watched it. And the Navy ship had found the rifles there, and the, one of the doctors that was at the hospital, and the guy that took the picture of Ruby shooting Oswald, he won a Nobel Prize. He was there on the panel, 
And you got you said you got to see it. Yeah, I watched uh, your segment. Um, I and then I, I actually started yeah. reading your transcript with the Warren Commission that interview. Yeah, it was it. It came down. It came down where the eye of Baker Warren would go to Washington for the Warren Commission, and since he he won out, he got to go, and I went to the one they had in Dallas in July. They came to the post office and set up a some of the, uh, where they not, none of the Warren Commission was there. So they sent attorneys, the, their attorneys, to interview. All, everybody else that they didn't have come to go to Washington. So that's, I almost got to go there. But they came to Dallas and they interviewed them and again in the 70s. They did another Warren Commission and they they came to Stokes Springs, where, close where I live now. I, I stayed with Dallas only nine years. I stayed two more years and I joined the Highway Patrol and I spent 37 years with them. And in 70, I was stationed in South Plains, and they interviewed me again. And I don't remember why they did it. They just had some questions that came out. And with all these conspiracy theories, too. See, the Gracie Knoll, and one guy said he... One, there's a lot of books and film, maybe. I've looked one, at a lot of different theories, personally, yeah. um, and I... And then one guy wrote a book about this man shooting from the courthouse. And he told her, and he went to London and got to talk to the man. And he wrote a book about it. And I bought the book. It's a good, well-written book. And he's a David Sheriff in Los Angeles. He, they used to work for the CIA. And on the problem is, Amy, you can't, you can't open the windows in the courthouse. The fatal shot. I know you were running around and trying to, you know, find Oswald. Did you see, I know you said you saw uh, the president reach for his throat. I saw the first shot hit him. He put his arms up. But after that, the other car, the city service car, moved over further to the left. And I couldn't see the president for those two shots because the second shot missed. But the third shot, I couldn't, I wasn't even looking at him. And I couldn't see him anyhow for the other car. I tried to look to see where the, Shots were coming from within. I wasn't, I didn't look anymore. I just had to glance up at him and just for, because it only took six seconds. All three yeah, shots only took But of course, the people say you can't shoot three shots in six seconds. No, they But actually, you, don't, you don't count the first shot. You start the clock timing. So you're only shooting twice in six seconds. And they had a lot of people do that. I, I came back here to the farm and my old boat action 22 rifle, and I could easily shoot three times in six or seven seconds. See, so it's not, I'm not that good, but he had the, he had the rifle laying on some boxes, and they were, it'd be really easy to, he, that was no problem with three time, but six seconds pretty quick. And by the time the last shot, I was already running to the back door. But the first uh, shot would be the most accurate. I thought he missed the first shot. No, he missed the second shot. The first shot hit Spencer because I seen it. The second shot hit close to the overpass. He must he must jerk he jerked the second shot too quick. It found where the second shot hit the uh, hit a manhole cover on the left hand side of the street between Main and Elm. 
by the overpass. They and found where the two- one that that grazed. Uh, what I think his name was James Tay. And I didn't get said. I didn't get said. There was uh, a man who got, I guess, the bullet ricocheted and it, it grazed his uh, yeah. right cheek. Yeah, he, I don't know what he was doing down there, but he got. So they went down and got looked around, found where he. I guess he got hit by a concrete because of the concrete all around the cover. I think it hit the concrete part, not the not the metal manhole cover. I think it hit the concrete. I got a picture of it with an officer pointing at it, and it hit, I guess, some concrete blew up and hit the man's cheek or his face somewhere or other. And that had to be the middle shot because I saw the first shot hit the president, and the last shot, of course, wanted made his head when it. I saw pictures of him. When they did the autopsy in Washington, Amy, I saw that took a picture of the president. They had a showed his back where a bullet went through the back of his head and back of his neck. It came out of his tie. Governor Connolly thought he was he was hit by the second shot, but he wasn't. Same he bullet. Hit, he was hit by the first shot. He had to be. That it was went, a crazy bullet. But, that bullet went through a lot. Yeah, well, it see it went through. To the president, out of his tie, and the governor was sitting down lower and to the left, and it went in his right side, and so it it did, did a lot of damage to him. He swore he was hit with a second shot because, because I think he was. It went through his like his. Uh, it went through his like right lung. Broke ribs on the way out, hit his wrist, broke his wrist, and then embedded itself in his leg. And it was all that's the same the, bullet. You know, that Tyson found the bullet on his stretcher at Parkham Hospital. And it was and pretty intact. It wasn't too damaged. It's crazy. I don't know how, but because a bone is so much softer, and it broke a rib, didn't it? And then went through his wrist, and then in his leg or something. Like that. It went. It went around in his body some, but it hadn't hit anything when it's first. It just went through his neck, just went through some skin. It hadn't hit something really hard, so. I saw his hand fly up, and I didn't, I couldn't see him. I said, the car behind him been moved over behind him, and then. About that car, there are pictures, like, I, I don't know, like, did y'all start pulling out, like, firearms at this point? Because... I know that there's a picture of one Secret Service agent in the la- the very back left of the that Secret uh, Service car that you're re- that you're referencing, and it was like an AK forty AK fifteen assault rifle. Somebody thought it was a, a AR fifteen rifle, with a six point five, I think. I, I tell you, no army rifle, but he had and. He must have been a pretty good shot with it. I think he shot too quick to section shot at him and, and, and miss. But he was a sharpshooter in the Marine Force. Are you talking Oswald or the Secret yeah, Service agent? Yeah, Oswald was a sharpshooter in... I've heard both. I've heard that he's terrible marksman, and there's no way he could have gotten it done, or he was great. You know, and I, I feel like he trained, uh, like, in his history, and his biography, he did train a lot and it would seem like you wouldn't keep him on you know if he was terrible at it or why he would never attempt it if he was a terrible shot Amy, i didn't get all that 
I know that he was, and they, he was in the Marine Corps, and he got out and went into Russia and married a girl and came back home. He didn't like Russia, and then they separated, and then he went to New Orleans and started handing out communist literature, Cuban literature, and then in the spring before he shot the president, he, he tried to kill General Walker, and I talked to FBI agent, FBI agent, and he said they traced the bullet to his rifle, but they couldn't. It, you got to. It's sort of like a fingerprint. You got to have so many points, and they didn't have points. They saved definitely, but they had several points that had come from his rifle. And his wife said that she kept the rifle. He kept the rifle after where she lived. This lady in the garage, and. It was gone for a couple of days, and he went back and got it. And then he come over visit her, and he came on Thursday, stayed all night, and took the rifle with him to the departure building on Friday in a paper sack, and got it in the building. Nobody noticed it, and got it up somewhere where he could hide it. I don't think people expect it, you know. In a, I feel like that was a time when you didn't expect, you know, someone to be carrying that. That in a paper bag, you know, it, it feels like a lot of innocence was lost that day and a lot of trust and a lot of fear was born out of it. He rode to work with a neighbor or a neighbor to where his wife lived. And he got in the car and put that in the back seat. And the guy asked him what it was. He said it was curtain rods. And he couldn't. I've got a picture of the package that he was right for charity in. They say it wasn't long enough to cover the rifle up, but it was. You can tell it was in the picture I got. He could have taken the rifle apart. I, I got a picture of the sack that he carried it in. He must have he must have made it out of paper and scotch tape. He had to he just something took the rifle in. And I don't I think it's homemade, but it was well long enough. The guy couldn't see it the rifle and he walked in the building with it, nobody they he just saw him carrying a paper bag, and so it was. But I know a lot of conspiracy theories said the bag was not long enough that the rifle was sticking out of it. Well, it wasn't because I, I saw I got a picture of it. It's plenty long enough, and the guy said he didn't see a rifle sticking out of it. The man he rode to work with, so he must. I look like somebody been suspicious of it in the building, but they weren't. But no, tell what door he went into, and he may have took the stairs. I don't know how he got it. Nobody knows that. Nobody's seen him, but he got upstairs with it, got on the sixth floor with it, and they know us. We had such good description to many witnesses that said they saw him, they had the description of him, and so it was just, it's no doubt. Back then, Amy, a murderer, anybody who murdered in Texas, it becomes a state law. President gets shot now. He goes in federal court, and but back then, city of South Frank, I mean, city of Dallas, did all the investigated. They had all it done was Saturday night. They had uh, an airtight case against him, and they going to ship him to the courthouse, and, and they present the case to the grand jury. And they said, well, we'll wait and do it Sunday morning when more press can be there. 
So then that's why the shipment, it's usually when you pick up somebody, you arrest somebody for crime, you get a worst case out. As soon as you can, you take them to the county, then you present the case to the grand jury, and it goes to court. So anyhow, the point I'm trying to make, we had all the evidence, Dallas did, and the FBI wanted this sent to Washington where they could look at it, and they promised they would send it back. And, of course, the awful gets killed, and that stopped the case right there. But they don't send it back. And Chief Curry is suspicious, so he films everything. He takes pictures and writes a book and puts all this in a book. And his bus transfer and the ID used to get the rifle. and He had all this stuff on him, and they took pictures all of it. And so I got to Chief Curry Road, and they had all this evidence in there. But I knew the most was in the case, too. Jim Vail is still living. He was, I am hoping to get a chance to meet him. I haven't got... He came to Mount Vernon at the little town close to me and made a talk back in the 80s, and I was still working. I, I got invited to the one of the Kiwanis Club or Lions Club one and invited him to speak to them. I got invited to be there since I had worked with him. So I know who he is, but every time I go to Dallas, why Jeremy and his dad, we try to catch him and we miss him every time. Uh-huh. I like, I want to see him again. I want to get my picture made with him. I got his picture of with all of them. I mean, that, I that's an iconic picture of him. Like he wants his nineties, and he's not gonna live long. I mean, he's safe, so I'm not gonna last long either. I mean, I get my picture made with him, but. Because he didn't know it. He, he just, he just, he got real famous because he was handcuffed to him and he got traveled all over the world, made speeches, and he's got to be well known. And I think he still has lots of people like historians like Jeremy Bacons. And I think they still contact him a lot. I know every time Jeremy and his dad go to Dallas, they try to contact him. Every time they go eat lunch with him or something, so he's still he's helped still pretty good. I was curious about. I know I was instructed that to ask you about Jack Ruby because I know you did arrest him for fighting. You know because he was fighting. <laughs> okay, let me tell you about Jack. When I went to work in Pitch Six, uh, I had a my first trainer. I worked 11 days kind of all over southeast Dallas. But when I went with a regular trainer the first of the month, which was June or July, it, Jack Ruby had a club on Oak Lawn. For two years, I had to work nights all the time. I didn't work days. But my trainer, we go in there every night and check the club. And that's, that's the first Jewish person I ever met. And I, and I met Jack, and I got to see him a lot. And then, after two and a half years, I transferred into traffic downtown to Commerce Macker with a Baker and Office Hotel, and, and he put a club in there on Commerce Street. So I got to see him every day down there, and he would stop and talk to me. And he, he'd come down in the morning and do his paperwork, and he'd, he'd come by and, and talk to me for a minute or two. And of course, at night, sometimes he'd walk outside, and I'd see him. I'd walk down there and talk to him a little bit. I liked him, but 
he's the first, like I say, he's the first Jewish person I ever met. And because I got to meet a lot of, after that, but I was raised down here in the country. I just never had met one before. And so, so I met hundreds after that, but I, I thought we were pretty good friends. He gave me a bill for in December 62 for Christmas presents. Officers on the corners were allowed to take presents from people. If it sold anywhere else, you could do it. It was a vibe. But on the street corner, where you work traffic corners, those people would give you stuff Christmas. And he'd give me a billfold. I still got it. But I mean, you could talk to him. If he, if he was mad about something and he started telling you about it, he'd just be shaking all over before he got through telling you about it. He had such a terrible temper. And he took a guy in a homeless guy and put him to work at that down there sleeping up the club and they had a falling out and he knocked the guy down the stairs. The guy ran up to the liquor store on the corner to call the police and the, uh, the guy running the liquor store, he and I were good friends, he's Jewish, and he most of me to come over there and the guy started telling me that Jack had knocked him down the stairs. Well, Jack came in then Right then, came up to him, and he said something real tacky to Jack. And Jack knocks him down right in front of me. And I had to call squad and sent both of them to City Hall. Uh, they paid, a, I guess, a $10 fine. And Jack came walking back, but he never missed it again to me. It was, it was probably August or September of 63. He never did say anything else to me about it. And... Uh, the last time I remember talking to him, he showed me a letter from the Internal Revenue where he owed him close to $20,000 back taxes. That's the last time I remember talking to him. And he just, it's one night, he just walked out on the sidewalk, and I had to be that close to him. And I walked down there and I asked him what was the matter. He said, Well, I owed Internal Revenue $20,000 or close to $20,000. And I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he was, pretty upset about it, and I don't remember talking to him any after that. I probably did. He was just a guy on the corner that's friendly. He'd speak to me, come by and talk to me, which most of the people back then in the 50s and 60s were pretty friendly to the on the corner. Everybody stopped and say hello, and how you doing? And if you weren't out in the middle of the street working traffic, you was on the sidewalk, uh, they'd come out and talk to you. Because when you work in traffic, Barry comes in accurate, you got to stand in the, you got to stand almost in the, the walkway where you cross to work the traffic, stop Commerce Street and keep them stacking up. That was, Acre didn't stack up, Commerce was stacking up, so you had to stop them where Acre Street could go straight on the cross. How did you feel when you learned that uh, Jack Ruby uh, shot Oswald? Well, I don't know, too. We supposed to move them Saturday night, and I'm supposed to help them. They come by and told me on the corner and said, "You get off tonight. We're gonna move them around midnight." Well, they, we got off, went up there, and said, "No, we're gonna do it tomorrow." Well, me and the family, we went to church Sunday morning. That's when it happened. While we was at church, and I was, but uh, I, I wasn't surprised because he said when he said he said when he's Jazz had went had come to the West Union office then was on the corner of Maine and, and South Central. 
he parked there, had his dogs in the car, and decided he, he, he mailed some money to one of his girls for words, pay her rent. He walked up to City Hall. The officer guarding the entrance to the basement had walked over to a car to give him some directions. He just walked down the walkway and got in with his crowd. And when he came out and saw Oswald, he just flipped, what I think, and just put his pistol out and shot him. A lot of the merchants back then, Amy, shared weapons with them uh, yeah. without... Well, oh, a lot of people they, do they, today. They, they'd close up at night, they'd have a, you know, a pocket full of money, and a lot of times they'd go put it in the bank, a lot of times they'd just take it home with them. So a lot of the nurses and... Cause we have a bunch of telephone operators who get off at all different times of night, and they we stopped them for traffic violation. They'd have a pistol laying in the seat. We never said anything about it because it, it was protection. We they didn't have a permit to carry it, but we just back then we were strict on guns like they are now. It was just we did we just didn't enforce it. I didn't know he carried one, but I knew a lot of them. Merchants like him did carry one. Then I found out later that more than I knew carried them, but I never seen it. I didn't. I didn't. I never seen him carrying it. He, he always had a suit on, so he could have it in his belt, and I wouldn't have seen it anyhow. Was he like a big fan of Kennedy, or was what was his motivation? He told her. He told her about it that. He didn't see Mr. Kennedy having to go through the trial. He was mad at the government because he owed the back taxes, but he didn't mention Kennedy. And when he was telling me about it, I don't know where we weren't allowed to talk about politics or religion then. And I wasn't even when I was in the high school. We never, we couldn't talk to anybody. But he put down 15 names of people that he would want to visit him in the county jail. He put my name and the officer down on Maine and Ackard, Hanson. He put our two names in that and some other officers. Then they, we were told we couldn't go visit with them. So I wish I could have went and found out a lot more about it. You would have gone if you could have. I would have gone if they'd let me, but the chief said, no, it, it didn't look good. Even after you transferred, you said you stayed on for two more years? I stayed on two more years, and I got a chance to go to Highway Patrol. And I knew I did. My mother and dad lived here in Hopkins County, and and they both sick and old. And I thought if I get in the Highway Patrol, I can I can get stationed closer. There's a hundred miles where I was, and I didn't. I had four kids, and I didn't. I didn't know where I could raise four kids in Dallas, so. 65, I, I got a chance to on patrol that head, and, and after five years, I got in Stuffer Springs, just 15 miles away, and I could patrol the highway out here by my mother and dad's house, and so I stayed here. I stayed here 22 years uh, is a, on the highway, and uh, I retired in 92, then I reinstated, and that is a a plain clothes civilian job for five years. And they, you know, you, you know, you get your car inspected. We had a service of troopers that took care of those places and supervised them. In 92, they made them all civilians. Well, some of the troopers didn't have enough time to retire. 
So they came back in the highway patrol, and some of us had a, a time in, and we could take their job, those jobs, and we draw a pension plus a salary for doing that. A lot of us did that. So, and I did that for five years to 97, then I turned 65 and I quit. In 2000, I worked two and a half years for the county of Franklin, transporting prisoners around over the state. And I'd go out of state sometime and pick one up. And that was a lot of fun. And they had a lot of federal prisoners they kept for a northern state. And they had to be taken to federal court in Texas, Canada, ever so pretty often. And the sheriff didn't much like his young debut doing that. He talked me into doing that. So I did that for two and a half years. And it's, I had a lot of fun. Was, I enjoyed doing it, but I was too, I'm getting too old to do it. In one of your interviews, you had mentioned how Dallas kind of after that became kind of like a city of hate. Like there was a lot of negativity, especially towards the police because of what happened with Oswald. If I understood you right, a lot of people hated Dallas because Kennedy got killed there. And the morale was real low and people blame, people come in on conventions and tell us how sorry Dallas was because when that Kennedy get killed there. And they tried this big lawyer out of California, Belli. He defended Jack Ruby in trial. Instead of defending him, he put the, the city of Dallas. is the city of Dallas' fault because Ruby shot Oswald. And that made people hate. And then, then when Bobby Kennedy got killed in California, he apologized to Dallas, said, I was wrong. It wasn't your fault. I take it all back. But the morale was pretty low. I had a chance to go to Highway Patrol. A lot of they was they was probably seven or eight of us went to Highway Patrol about the same time. Four or five went to Los Angeles. It was paying about twice what we was getting. Two went to New York City and got on a third. So morale was pretty bad, but it, it, that wasn't the reason I left. I just got a chance to get in it, and I knew I'd like it better. I mean, I'd have to leave work. I'd have to leave the house. An hour before I went to work because I had to get to City Hall, had changed clothes, and then go in roll call and then go to an assignment. So I was putting in an hour before, an hour after coming home. And Highway Patrol, you walk out the door and get in the car, you pick up radio and you say 1041, you hit water. It takes about two minutes to get to work. That would take yeah. two hours. And the pay was about the same. and. And I got my kids out in a country school, and it, it was a, I really did the right thing, I think. A lot, then they, all these conspiracy theories started coming out. And Yeah, I, and, I won't lie. This is a, a podcast, it's about conspiracy theories, but it's not necessarily like saying I believe every single one. It's, it's kind of dissecting them and making a rational thought you know, choice, whatever, but trying to take everyone's viewpoint into account. So, well, Jeremy, Jeremy Bacon, he's kidding me a long time. He said it was a, I think the Secret Service agent right. was riding in the car behind the president, accidentally shot his rifle. And he, I thought he was serious for a long time. And, but I said, no, no, nobody heard it. If people standing 10 foot from the car, Nobody heard that. There is a picture of him with that rifle. I mean, there's a guy in Houston. He's saying a guy named Wallace 
went up to the sixth floor and got Oswald's rifle and shot the president. And Oswald was downstairs. I saw Lieutenant Dare, a lab head of a lab, he came out the door that I was guarding with a rifle. So I got to see the rifle real close. And then I got pictures of him walking up the street with it. And yeah, Lieutenant Day had to come out the door. I let him out the door with, and they had a rifle with him. This was before the assassination. Yeah, I stayed on the corner about three. And he came out probably one or one third, something like that, or maybe two. So they had to, they set up a crime scene up there and he had his people come in, take pictures of the three empty holes on the floor and they, Dusted the prints on the boxes that also moved over to the window to the little rifle home. And they worked a couple hours up there on crime scene. I didn't leave that door until around three. So sometime before that, he came out with a rifle and went to the city hall with it. And so I got to see the rifle close. And I knew Lieutenant Day. I don't guess he knew me. I was just a young trooper, 31 years old. I don't, he probably didn't know who I was. What I'm saying is that you're that young, and I can't imagine trying to process any of that. I've just been doing general police work for seven years, and before this happened, we had some incidents. LBJ and his wife, they went into the Dolphins Hotel, and somebody threw a sign at him. The guy that was ambassador, uh, he, see, the press club was in the Baker Hotel or in a building joining the Baker Hotel. So all the press people come by the corner. They parked down on Commerce Street. And I was off today, but this guy got hit. He got hit by a demonstrator, hit him with a sign. And so that's what the main thing we were looking out for on the corner was somebody with signs because there weren't any signs at all. But they didn't want us getting close let anyone get close enough to hit the president for anything. So, of course, we checked the buildings. You know, we looked at them. Sheriff's office people was letting up those windows. That building, Dow Tech building behind me, nearly every window there had people looking out of it. I thought all the people were out of the device floor building, but there was two guys in the fifth floor, right under Oswald, and they could hear the shells the empty holes hitting the floor right above their head. But they they looked out and couldn't see anything. And and then of course Mr. Trudy was in the right inside the door, living manager. So that's the only four people in the building. Everybody else had come out. It's lunch hour, it's twelve thirty. And they they come out around eleven thirty. Three three women came up to me and to ask what time and I I stopped somebody and find out what time he's gonna be by. And I said, oh, y'all want to see the president, do you? They laughed. said, no, we want to see Mrs. Kennedy. They laughed and walked back in. And then a little at 12, I looked up, and all these people were coming out of the building out to the street to see the president come by, Mrs. Kennedy. So there was lots of people came out to see him. Millions of people came out to see him. All downtown Main Street, all the way to Little Field. And the officers said, we just we only had about 500 officers at that time, and 400 of those had worked that day. And my officers, when he passed their corner, they because they just they weren't going very fast. They'd get on them 
in a car or motorcycle and get ahead of him and work another intersection. And then someone went on at the trademark where he's supposed to make his speech. Walking, we had we just stayed on a corner. And then right. me and Johnny and I got another motorcycle off the Freeman. He he jumped there and he stood with us for a long time with the front door with me and Joe. Everybody else, then when, when Oswald got killed, I mean when Tipper got killed, everybody went to Cliff and tried to started looking for him over there because I found him in the theater. And I guess everybody then went back on regular patrol. I don't know what they did. I just know what I did. And about three days, they released me there, and I went back to the corner. They come us back, and I stayed there until. Did you ever meet Oswald? No, I didn't see him. I was going to see him that night. I was going to pray for him. So he said tonight, and they, the press said, well, it's going to be midnight. We won't, see, we won't take pictures of your transporting him. So the chief said, well, we'll do it Sunday morning. But I was off Sunday, so I was in church when it happened. So I didn't get to see him. I, it'd be hard for me to get up in the city hall. I could walk up in there, but I didn't make any effort to see him. I could, I could have went up and seen him Saturday, but I didn't I didn't do it. I, I was going to see him later, because they were going to take him to county, and I'd have plenty of chance to see him in court and everything. But then he got killed Sunday morning, so I saw all this on television when I got home from church. I, I didn't see him in person. Did it just seem surreal? Like, did that, just, like, oh my gosh, that just happened? What was your first and thought when you heard it was Jack Ruby? I knew, I knew what, a, how quick he would, his temper was. Uh, he, I thought, well, and he, he's a publicity hound, too. Sometimes if something happened at the club, he'd walk up there and tell me about it. So if you get a chance to tell one of the news people, come out of the press club. But I wouldn't do that. It was it wasn't news. It wasn't good news. I, but he's that he was a publicity hound, and I I think he may have done it. I thought he's gonna. I thought I believe that he thinks he's gonna be a hero for doing it. See, Jack Ruby, he was close with the police, or he was around a lot. So was it pretty shocking? Like was it kind of a what the hell moment? Like I told you, I mean, he had a terrific temper. He'd be terrible about something, and and just start shaking. He'd be so mad that he came up, and that guy he knocked down on the floor in front of me. I didn't even see his feet. He hit him so quick that I didn't even. I stayed right there between them. He just all at once hit the man, and knocked him down, and I said, "Jack, I've got to send you to City Hall." And he was real high tempered. And uh, I think he just—he's always friendly to me. But he'd tell me things, and if it wasn't—it was bad. He—he kind of get told he would just be shaken, and he'd be and in a second he'd be okay. And he just high strong. I think when he saw Oswald that smirk on his face, I think he just put his pistol out and shot him. Not really. He just—he just had a few seconds. To make up his mind what he's going to do, and he just put it out and got him. Matty thought he's going to be a hero and saving Miss Candy. He had plenty of time to make all that up after they arrested him, put him in jail. If I could ever got a chance to talk to him, I could find out what he was thinking about, why he did it, but I, I didn't get that chance. A lot happened that day, and as far as conspiracy theories go, are there any that? You think, hey, that could be possible. I mean, there's about seven, eight of them. 
and they always turn out, we have scientific evidence that this is what happened. And they just, people, oh yeah, I didn't tell you all about the guy that wrote the book and went to London and talked to the guy. They arrested someone from Los Angeles and put him in the county jail. It wouldn't be one of the officers. And they sent two detectives to some place to pick up this prisoner. And I got to talk to him. And this guy wrote the book, was their boss. And I asked him about the book. So he said, oh, he, he hadn't been to London. He just tried to make some money. It's a well-written book. And the guy told him he shot, and he put the book. He shot from the second story of the courthouse from the window. He stood where he could see Oswald. Oswald was just supposed to shoot up in the air. That he was supposed to be the one that shoot the bay did. Well, the winners don't open it. It's just a lie. He just made up a story and sold thousands of books. If he pressed on that window, he would have figured All those computer theories were just to make money, and they were a bunch of them. The guy mm-hmm. made up the story about the six survey agent in the car behind. This six survey agent hired a lawyer and sued him. He quit doing it because he had a hard lawyer to tell you. to do that for, I mean. He had good points, so. I imagine the six surveys that he probably had some buddies that were lawyers. He probably didn't cost him anything to sue him. So I've been a lawyer in Washington and I had a good friend of six surveys. I wouldn't charge him anything, you know. So I mean, he got all that free and it's just for Walter that I made up the story. There's a ton of them out there, though. And these people standing, and then there was a driver and a pastor. Then there was two staff members standing right behind them, and then two secretary agents in the back seat of this convertible. Then they had four standing on each, and two on each side of the car standing on the door. Jerry said, well, they wouldn't tell on each other. But they were they people standing with it 10 foot from the car. None of these people said anything about seeing a rifle. They all said the shots were coming from the photographer building. Now, some of them Change the story later. Said, "Oh, I think come breaking the old, or I think come the courthouse." The line they just changed the story. All the, all the witnesses that I talked to, or heard anybody else talk to, said the shots came from the sixth floor, and that's the description we put out. And also got arrested by it. And this uh, Howard Brennan, he wrote a book about it. He's dead now. But he told about going to Washington. The FBI guarded him all the time. He's up there. He was scared. And they guarded his house a long time. He thought it was a conspiracy. And since he was a witness to it, they might somebody kill him. It might be uh, Moffitt. You know, the Moffitt didn't like Kennedy's. Cuba didn't no, like Kennedy. I know that. <laughs> he got scared. And so the FBI had to guard him until he testified. And then he. He left his family and went to Oregon because he's a pipe fitter. He's going to work anywhere. And he went to Oregon and, and got a job up there to get away from Dallas. And he walked in the door of the building. The secretary said, hey, you're the guy that saw off our shoot kidney. And <laughs> they couldn't get away from it. So he, and he moved down close to Tyler somewhere. I think that's where he passed away. I guess it's why I still live there. I didn't get his book until just a few years ago, and he's already dead before I got a, a copy of the book. 
my daughter found it on the internet and got it for me. And I started checking it already passed away. I wish I went and get could have talked to him again. But after yeah. I got out so I mean, I was pretty busy trying to learn, trying to get this job down. I was thirty five years old, so he wanted to join. Yeah, they call me Pappy at the school. He's 120 ever started and 60 ever made it through school. So I was wore out and I was trying to put you out here, you know, pretty much by yourself. And you have to really pay attention to what you're doing. So I didn't get much thought until all the spiritual theories started coming out. And then people got my name and started, I get, I'm writing a letter now hey. back to. I think it would be kind of funny or cool to have a conspiracy theory that involved you. And you're like, obviously, no, that's not true. But I thought they were still with the conspiracy theories. But then this guy and well, this guy in, uh, in Houston is my brother-in-law. And uh, every summer, we meet him halfway. And my wife's sister, she comes up and stays a week or two with us. And so we were there last summer. And he started telling me about this guy named Wallace. Is one that shot Kennedy. That's the first time he's ever. I, we don't see him very often, but that's the first time I ever even talked to him about it. And I said, "Where, where did you get that?" Well, I got it off the internet. <laughs> well, I don't have an internet, Amy. You don't? I don't have a computer. I'm just too old. I'm literally staring at you right now. But um... I hope you got my number now. If you think of something anytime, text me. I know how to text. People don't believe you. If you can't work a oh, computer, how, do you, how can you text? You got my number. Text me anytime you want to. Or if you, I did earlier, if you actually. Want, if you want to, send me a letter and with questions on it, and I'll write you right back. I get three, four letters a month. Like I said, I'm, I've got one now. I'm, it's that, it's a, he's a London City policeman. He's 56 years old. And he just started being a historian, and he found my name, and he wrote me a letter, and I'm writing him back, and he wanted to know. He thinks the shots came from the that building in the that building in the middle. He he got his head. That's where they come from. Of course, it didn't. And all these people in every window. They didn't, I don't have nobody. He thinks he shot behind the forest gate. That Dale Tech building. I think's the name of it. He thinks he heard. His idea that the shots came from there, or the Gracie No. He said there's 50 witnesses that said that the shots came from Gracie No. Well, they didn't talk to him. Joe Smith did. Joe talked to that one. He ran down there and saw he wasn't going to do it, and he ran back to help me. So, but those people fall on the ground. People thought they had been shot too. They laid flat on the ground. Yeah. Man, it's like kids, see? So, uh, that's how that got started. And I'm, I, I'm writing him a letter back. It takes three, four days to, I just write a little bit at a time and my hand gets tired. And I, I'm going to explain to him why the shots didn't come from the bathroom building on the race. No. Do you have any pictures of any of the stuff around there when all this happened? Well, my grandmother kept all like the newspapers from even before that day. Um, like she was keeping track of like his Texas trip, basically. A guy from Austria sent me a picture, and he was taking a lady took the picture standing. I think it was a lady. She was standing on the grass, on the grass between Elm and Maine. 
and she got the president as he being shot the first time. And John May in the picture is 13 inches wide. All the pictures I saw had me cut off. And she oh. just died from Austria, sent me this picture 13 inches wide. And so I called Jeremy and told him what I had. And he got looking around and found it on the computer. And he sent me some fairly size that had me. And he sent me a picture that had me in five different pictures and it's eight by 12. And I was in each one of them, taking different places around the corner. And the pictures of the guy sent me from Austria is 13 inches wide. They don't make planes for that. So I and so the guy, the day queen in Mount Vernon, he won't hang it up in the day queen. So I went and had a, I went to where they make frames. It was $90 to make a frame to put that picture in. So they got two pictures of me, one at the door and one in stand on the street. They got more than I that. I can send you those pictures on cell phone. When I text you, I'll, I'll, I'll try to send you one of those pictures. Yeah, I can do awesome. it. Everybody's got all this stuff. He can send you stuff that I don't even have. He's got so much of it. That's his yeah, whole life. He, he, does. <laughs> he actually yeah, sent me maybe, a picture of Jack Ruby's mugshot. Yeah, they go to Dallas last year. They didn't go. They go in May and November. They, for some reason, they didn't go this November. But I was sick, and I'm glad to, I always go there and try to meet them. We go eat, and I was over there in the spring, and we went out and found all those graves. We found Bunny Clyde and found the grave cemetery. He can. He got a GPS on his phone. And he can drive one-handed and hold that in his hand. And and I I know when somebody's driving good because I was a policeman a long time. And he's a good driver. He's good to Dallas and Fort Worth. One hand looking and looking half time at the phone and half time where he's going. Hmm. And we didn't we didn't come close to having a wreck. And I thought, man, he can drive. He I don't hate not many civilians drive as good as he can. We had a hard time finding Bunny and, and Clyde Simmons. We found a cemetery, but we had a hard time finding grave, the graves. And uh, and and we had a hard, pretty hard time finding Oswald's grave. They said, we found somebody else. Bunny and Clyde and Oswald. There's somebody else's grave we found. I can't remember who it was. What cemetery is this? Okay, I know what it was. It was her grave. He was, we had a hard time fighting Ed. And Friday he had to go in and ask somebody where it was, and they told him. But where Clyde was buried, he was a small grass. He wasn't even, nobody sheep lit up. And we found Ed, and it was, uh, we just split up as four of us, me and Jeremy, his dad, and his son. We just split up and started walking. Jeremy was over on the west side, and he ran up on it. And so we just go walk till we found it, and he found it first. And then we saw a path then going to it that we didn't see where people had been there checking, uh, looking at, you know, taking pictures of it. And so it's quite a spirit. They're really nice people. How did you get to know them? Honestly, I had bought um, an item that he was selling on eBay that was Jim Garrison's book signed by Clay Shaw because. I thought that was very interesting. And then we got to talking because um, we both 
I've looked into conspiracy theories and, you know, just ended up talking about, learned that each of us had a lot of information on the whole topic. Well, I got spent a long time with a man, and his dad was a retired deputy sheriff there in that town. And then he retired and ran for constable and was elected that for several years. And he's not near, he's not as old as I am, but he's pretty old. And so he's an officer, he's policing for a long time. I can't think the name of the town now. I got to hear, let me wait just a minute. I got the name of the town where they live. You, can you remember it? Which town? The town that, wait, I got it right here. Bristol. B R I S T O L Tennessee. Bristol? That's where for Jeremy Bacon and his dad, his family all lives. Jeremy's oh. in the ancient business. And his dad's retired policeman, and uh, he sent me some pictures. Was not too long ago. He, every time he finds something new, he'll send me a copy of it. And so he sent me something here. I forgot what it was. I'm trying to look and see what it is. It's just it's a picture of the uh, of the graveyard, the gra- the tombstone we visited in Bunning yeah. Clap. Uh, I took pictures, but his camera takes his phone takes a lot clear pictures and mine does and so he sent me a copy of his what his phone made so he sent them to me oh back in the summer i just haven't i haven't had them little in here close to the chair i don't know why i got it out of here i'm trying to write this guy a city policeman in london england i'm trying to write him a letter back he won't he had these conspiracy theories about the Baltic Bill and the Grace Noble. I'm trying to explain to him that's not where the shots come from. And he didn't have any pictures. I'm not, I may send him a picture when I get the letter wrote, but I just got a little bit of time. I'd already got two pages written to him, trying to explain some of the theories away and trying to explain yeah, what I did. I would love to, like, you know, hear like your take on like certain theories because you know i obviously wasn't there i was born in 1985 so <laughs> i go behind thank you so much for sharing your account with me and taking the time to take this call and everything 